0: I'm Tom Dorsey I'm Tommy Doyle And it's June 7th, 2017 And it's two days until when? Two days until Friday Two days until the weekend No, 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 no <laughs> Something happened many years ago May 1st, 1975 What happened in the market May 1st, 1975? I quit you because Tommy's one of my protégés I mean, he's one of the sharpest people here, absolutely But he's young and I'm asking him things that were you weren't around then.
1: Predates me about twenty twenty two years. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: But you got to know this stuff. That's right. What happened May first, nineteen seventy five is called May Day. That's the day the Securities Exchange Commission deregulated commissions. That was the first time in a hundred and eighty three years commissions had been deregulated because when they were under the Buttonwood Tree, the men who started the New York Stock Exchange as a club, and you you would get into this club by agreeing. To not change commissions from anyone else's. You all, you all will charge the exact same thing. If you change commissions and lower them to gain an edge, you're thrown out. <laughs> so, for 183 years, no one changed commissions until May 1st, 1975. The Securities Change Commission deregulated commissions. I remember I was a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith back when they were real firms, and um, that was a big thing for us. Mainly because Charles Schwab stepped in. Charles Schwab stepped in back in, in in 1975, and basically you should thank him, send him a thank you card or whatever, because he brought in multitudes, millions of investors who had given up. The fees that we charged, if you bought 100 shares of, of whatever, it cost you the same thing, same percent, as if you bought 1,000 or 100,000. I mean, it was you, you didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Commissions were so high, people just gave up. And after 73, 74, losing probably 60 percent of their portfolios in a down market, in which we had no tools to defend the portfolio. All we had was our firm keep saying buy, 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 and finally the customer said buy, buy. Right. <laughs> I'm out of here. Right. And when I wrote the book Thriving as a, as a stockbroker in the 21st century, I interviewed one guy who uh, Sam Lee, one great friend of mine, who was a broker during that period. He said, Tom, he said, I didn't just lose accounts. He said, I lost Whole cities of people. And during that period, he said, I used to have a, have an office. They took my office away. I went out in the bullpen. I had a parking space. They took that away. I rode the bus into work. I used to go to lunch every day. Didn't do that anymore. I brought a brown bag in every day. That's how bad it got. And the New York Stock Exchange allowed brokers to have a second job, which they didn't allow back then. Uh, and that was because you could drive cabs. Right. So picture being in this business and having to drive cabs to make ends meet. That's the way it was back then. But my point being is, we fast forward now from May 1st, 1975 to June 9th, 2017. And that's the next big thing that's happened. Things take time on Wall Street. They're not overnight. They take a lot of time. And and the Department of Labor, DOL, fiduciary requirement, comes in on the 9th. This changes our world. This changes everyone's world. And I know some some advisors I've talked to say, oh, no problem, I've been doing that for years. Well, wait till you start filling out the paperwork. Right Right now, Mm -hmm. the Department of Labor says, you know, we're not going to be too tough on you. Right now. If you're working toward getting it right, getting the stacks of papers and things you have to do to have it right for your customer to be a fiduciary, but come January 1st, game on. Mm -hmm. Then you start seeing the fines and things like that that advisors may not even be able to to afford to pay. It's changing our world dramatically. What do we do at Dorsey Wright to help the broker and advisor step into this world seamlessly? And I think we've done this for years and years and years. 20 years ago, I could see the business changing and moving more toward fee base. And as far as Dorsey Wright's concerned, we have to stay with the big guys. Whatever direction they go, we need to find a way to facilitate, to help them facilitate that direction. We can't go against them. It's like going against the shark. The pilot fish on the shark just stays with the shark. When that shark turns, he turns. We have to do the same thing. So not only were we able to see the advent of the fee base um, uh, 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 remuneration coming on we were able to move in that direction we began, we began modeling 15 years ago we had our first model that was paid for by, by, by um, iShares that was in 2002 and we were modeling before that we just started getting paid for it in 2002 right. so we've been on this direction on this course for over 20 years now now we, now the rubber meets the road. In two days, Department of Labor kicks in, and by January 1st, which is going to be right around the corner, it gets real serious. So what does an advisor do to scale his business? How do you scale it in, in a situation where... You're afraid that when you, when you talk to a customer about rolling his IRA over from his uh, defined benefit plan, where you would normally say, roll it over and I'm going to watch it. I'm going to take care of it for you. I'll do the best I can. Now you have to demonstrate why yours is going to be better than theirs. Right. And then if you underperform what theirs did, you may find that you 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 may end up with a lawsuit. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are happening now. I have to leave it up to lawyers Uh, and and compliance directors and whatnot to to guide the advisor, for us what we can do is we can try to find a way to give the advisor more time to comply with all of these things, to scale their business and create auto-run portfolios that they can sit down, look the customer in the eye and explain exactly how it works. And that's part of what this DOL situation is going to be is explaining to your customer exactly what you do and how it works. We've been there now for 20 years. So... Welcome to DOL in two days. This be a time when you're sitting here at 70 years old, and you'll be talking to uh, a young upstart that's 21 years old, and you'll say, "Do you remember? Do you remember uh, June 9th, 2017?" And he's going to say, ah, "How do I remember that? That's 40, 40 years ago. I mean, what, uh, what's up? Right. Well, you better start learning it because these are these are important things that happen only every so now on Wall Street, and this is one of them." So, at any rate, rejoice, you're alive, you're a millennial, you're getting to watch it, and you're going to be involved in it. So, let's start with a conversation that I have had about smart indexing, and it's a term that I coined, because as I watched all of the articles on indexing coming out, um, it, it just fascinated me, because I've been in the business for 43 years, and how individuals have really given up and, and and why wouldn't they give up because 92 percent of all money managers going back 15 years cannot outperform the S&P 500 so if that's the case and if you want to be in the top 20 percent of customers that 20 percent of people um, that outperform the S&P 500 buy the S&P 500
1: right and that's kind of been the trend we've seen. You know, we've, we've put it in some of our presentations recently. You know, Ben and I touched on it when we went to Texas, did that Texas Roadshow, mm-hmm. is if you haven't been large growth or S&P 500 the past five years, you've underperformed. And that's way different than the late 90s, early 2000s, where if you were in anything but the S&P 500, you outperformed. And that's why you know, you're seeing headlines of got to index, got to model, got to buy and hold Um, because that is the environment we're in.
0: Well, well, Jack Bogle uh, really did a service to this industry when he came out with the Vanguard, started Vanguard to begin with, and when he came out with the index um, uh, mutual fund that now are index ETFs is probably a better way to do it. But uh, I was at a cocktail party with Jack uh, a few weeks ago in New York, maybe a couple months ago, and um, I went up to him and I said, Jack, I said, you know, the older I get, the more I get like you. And he says, uh, what do you mean, Tom? And I said, I like to drive a straight line. And we'll talk about that in a few moments about a discussion my son and I had the other night that really shores that up. But what I came up with here, and I said, you know, th- with relative strength, we can be a smart indexer. There are so many indexes now, there are like 11 standard and poor's indexes that have vanguard S&Ps. There are you can mix in their power shares. You can mix in there all kinds of different, different ETF providers that provide these same, same indexes. So it doesn't mean that you have to be Vanguard or or whatever. But you got to have these these indexes. If you have 11 of them, and I look at the S&P uh, simply because when you have a discussion with your customer and he comes in, he says, "I want to own the S&P 500." That's all he hears on TV. Mm-hmm. That's all he hears: S&P 500. Well, there are 11 different units in that. You know, you've know, you got the S&P 500 cap weight, which is like Congress, S&P 500 equal weight, which is like the Senate, uh, S&P 500 um, cap weight value, S&P 500 cap weight growth, S&P mid-cap, uh, small cap, on down the line. Yeah. So if I take the 11 units there and the customer comes in and says, you know, I've just been reading about uh, indexing, let's index. My first question to him would be, are you aware that there are two S&P 500s. Is it possible for the S&P 500 to beat the S&P 500? Is it possible? Yes. Absolutely.
1: Why? Because they perform differently based upon the way that they are weighted. We've seen the cap weight outperform here recently because those large cap growth stocks like we talked about have been carrying the weight. In uh, the equal weighted things, it's their performance by those large cap stocks has been muted, if you will which is why here recently you're seeing that index S&P equal weight underperform the cap weight. But it's just by a percent and a half, two percent. It's not insurmountable.
0: Uh, it's not in a the hanging fence. Right. You know the deja vu I just had with what? you just now? Those of you that have a little age to you will remember Mr. Wizard. I want you to Google Mr. Wizard. And you'll see exactly what I mean. Mr. Wizard was a science teacher kind of guy. Um, and every weekend, he would be on TV with a young kid next to him. And they would do things like this weekend, I'm going to teach you how vacuum works. And he would suck an egg down into a, a bottle. Mm-hmm. And he would be explaining vacuum. And then he would talk to the kid, and the kid would be sharp, and he'd be answering him back. And I just had that Mr. Wizard <laughs> deja vu <laughs> listening to you. It was great. At any rate, um, what I did is I I took those 11 units, and I said, let's put them into a relative strength matrix. We're going to take the top five of those, (coughs) and we'll own them. (coughs) Now, taking the top five ensures you have some diversification within that, because you're taking like half the group. And it also ensures that you're going to get some that are um, the non-performers. Right. So in doing that, when we, when we looked at the returns over time, not over a few months, over time, they outperformed like crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the performance was uh, uh, clearly, you'd want to be in the, uh, the smart indexing where you took the indexes, it's exactly what the customer wanted, and you took relative strength to decide where we should be within those indexes, and you bought those five. Right. And that way you never have that discussion with a customer of, why did you put me in biotechnology? You know, the S&P is up 8% this year, and biotechnology was down 40%, and that, and that really wrecked our whole performance. Why did you do that? You don't have that conversation. They wanted to index. Since they can't answer the question, can the S&P 500 beat the S&P 500, once you're finished explaining to them how there are two S&P 500s, that's going to stop them right there and say, you know what, I don't think I know enough about this indexing to really do it. And then explain to them the people's portfolio that I created many years ago that still runs. And I created that people's portfolio by looking out the window and seeing a guy cutting our grass outside our company. And I thought to myself, here's a guy who might have $3,000 saved maximum. Who helps him? Right. Nobody. So I created what's called the people's portfolio, more of a Karl Marx kind of bent. But it's for the people who have no one to help service them. And... You take the S&P 500 cap weight, the S&P 500 equal weight, compare them on a relative strength basis, add in cash, which to us on our system is MN- MNY MKT, and there you have it. Whichever one has the strongest. I'm smiling now because you can hear my phone going off I in can. my ears. <laughs> this is the craziest thing. I have hearing aids, and these hearing aids are the coolest hearing aids you can imagine. They're Bluetooth, so right now my telephone has just gone off. It's sitting on my desk out there. We're in the media room with the door closed, and the next thing, you know, you know my ears are going off. Tommy's smiling; he's about to break out in a laugh. He can tell that I'm getting a phone call in my ears, and uh, there you have it. I should, t- <laughs> but they're the greatest things in the world. I'll tell you, if you, if you even if you don't need hearing aids. These Bluetooths, these Otakons are fantastic. If you're in a group you can, and you have your phone in your pocket, you just put on Spotify or whatever, listen to music. So these things can tune people out <laughs> just as well as you can tune people in. That's
1: right. At any anyway, rate, where was I before I was so rudely called on my phone? You're talking about the smart indexing concept and in almost kind of like you're starting five. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have five representatives in there. All are playing a different role, whether the point guard or they're the center. And one of them gets tired. Put them on the bench, get a new guy in. Okay. And right now we're kind of we're seeing that with – we do have the growth that we've talked about on the large cap scale and in the um, mid cap. But the thing kind of holding us back right now is the small caps. Uh, we've seen indexes move to new highs in March and then again in May, and, and some of them have been able to do so here in June. But small caps have kind of moved sideways for the first half of this year Mm -hmm. after, you know, initially shooting up after the election before everything else. Now they've just kind of been in a a sideways range-bound pattern, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Um, So that's kind of been the anchor holding you down on the performance-wise this year.
0: Well, let's look at the performance this year. That's okay because we're in what now? We're in uh, January, February, March, April. May, we've gone five months, and we're a couple of days into June, so let's say out of five-month period, does not uh, uh, a trade make. Correct. And it's up 5.35%, which would be the SP group, uh, Mm -hmm. which is that that combination. And the S&P 500 cap is up 8.51, and the equal is up 6.55. So you got no hanging offense there. And what you have is because you had to select half of the group, you got an underperformer S&P 600 uh, value. S&P 600 underperformed in itself by being up 1.27, but the value part held it down. So it's clearly been a growth market and a big cap. Now, let's look at that. If you look for one year, let's look on a one year basis, the same thing. One year basis, this S&P modeling group is up uh, 15.75, and the S&P cap weight is up, uh, let's see, 15.17. So on a one year basis, that model, even having the wrong stuff in it mm-hmm. really did well because the s and p growth outperformed the s and p so much right so the point is, I think with smart indexing, that term that I coined is exactly the play here. There'll be a point in time as we go forward where small caps begin to take the lead back in two thousand uh when we no- we noticed the major change in this market when all of a sudden it went from large cap to small cap value to, excuse me, growth to value that lasted for about 13 years. Mm -hmm. All you had to own was small cap value, fund no matter what and you did well. So small cap will come back into favor. I like the concept of this because you have more units in there, you're doing something in the portfolio, you're still indexing like the customer wants, Mm -hmm. it's an automatically run portfolio things are happening in there And it allows you to scale your business. If I was back in production, and you don't know what that is, but if I was back in production, this is the direction I would go. Just like I said, told Jack Bogle the other night, drive a straight line.
1: That's right. And the benefit of this model, if you're following it, or or any other models that are self, you know, rules-based, disciplined, utilize relative strength, the system's going to tell you when they make the change. That's right. So you don't have to be panicked and worrying about, did I miss the trade? Is there an evaluation today? Well, I got a conference call or I'm going out to prospect. The system is just going to send you that email and let you know, hey, you know, maybe we're selling small cap and we're buying another large growth. Um, If and when that happens, you know, so you don't have to keep periodically in your mind, okay, there's an evaluation today. I need to get up early and make sure I'm in the office and can look at it. Just take a breather, enjoy your coffee, go out and meet a client, go out, sleep in, and let the system do all the heavy lifting for you.
0: And, you know, the whole idea is go tell the story. Right. That's where you should be. You shouldn't be sitting behind your machine trying to figure this and figure that out. We've already done that. This works. It makes a lot of sense. And all you have to do is go out and tell the story.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, I... I know that most of you out there, when I go to a branch office, 80% of you are doing modern portfolio theory. That's free at Charles Schwab. They don't need you for that. That's done. The tech guys have already co-opted that from you. You're whistling past the cemetery if that's all you're doing. So in the future here, where technology is taking control, you've got to find a way to be different. And I think the smart indexing is the name of the game. It keeps you in the game. It keeps you indexing. It does unique things when you're able to show a customer how relative strength works. Tell the story, and you're going to get the account.
1: And you're overlaying the the fundamental analysis with the technical. So you're, you're doing double your analysis to make sure that things are appropriate, perfectly falls in line with that DOL. Make sure you're covering your bases and can explain, like you said, to the client. Make sure they're on board; they understand what's going on, so they're not calling you at 2 a.m. Yeah. wondering what's going on with their
0: portfolio. I would almost love to be involved in this in this Department of Labor because this is exactly what the thing I would be doing. Why did we model 20 years ago? Because basically everything we did at Dorsey Wright and Associates was like, "Give it to Mikey; he'll try anything." <laughs> I, I would look at it myself, having been a stockbroker myself, sitting in the in, sitting in the weeds out in the boardroom calling and trying to develop business, and I would look at something we developed develop and I'd say, is this something I would do? Is this something that would help me in this business if I was back in production? If the answer was yes, then we go that direction. Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, um, it's a whole hum kind of a yawn for me. No, absolutely not. Right. So, you had something you want to talk about.
1: Yeah, we're going off the models. We had two model changes uh, within the past week. Some of you may have seen. Within Power 4, that's our PowerShare Sector 4 model. Um, that one's evaluated every month. We sold out of utilities and we went back into consumer cyclicals. So I sold PUI and bought PEZ. For those of you following that model, um, that's a sector model and the first trust international model had a change today Uh, brazil was sold and it bought first Trust developed markets and that's been kind of an interesting story here recently is we've seen developed markets especially developed europe continue to do well they're a little bit late to the party Um, you know merging markets were where you wanted to be last year you still want to be there this year but now there's more participation international equities still most improved asset class highest performing asset class year to date And not only that, but you're getting more and more participation, more opportunity to outperform there, to generate alpha via the developed markets in Europe um, from still your Asia-Pacific and your Latin America. But that can – well, it may be a smaller part of your portfolio. That can help you to come up with ideas and not be so narrowly confined or constrained in wanting to just be single large-cap growth. Um, struggle or the kind of problem with that area now is how overbought the whole group is. Uh, you know, if you look to the indicators tab and then asset class group scores on the DWA platform, you can look to see how the average groups um, for non US are one scoring. Uh, using relative strength and trend, but also their overbought, oversold levels. Uh, Non-US on average uh, is 137% overbought. But that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities. You can look to India right now is only 25% overbought. Um, Emerging markets equity, emerging markets diversified, so those more broad-based funds are offering opportunities. Um, You know, what we would recommend you do is if you find those types of opportunities or country-specific funds you're interested in, look to their weekly distribution, compare that, and if they are overbought, maybe you're looking to a shorter scale to find that entry point um, and develop some support moving
0: forward. Here's an idea along the lines of just what you're talking about. Tammy and I did this a long, long time ago when Bear Stearns was before they blew themselves up. We held our Series 7 there. So Tammy and I, I'm thinking, I said, you know, if I'm going to really understand international marketing, I need to do it, and I need to do it online. I need to use technology to go out to these countries, open accounts, wire money in, make sure the money wires in, and then I always have some wire back just to make sure it works both ways, and open accounts and begin to trade online. Well, we did that in the beginning, but in the beginning what we did was we took our Bear Stearns account, and we went through the overnight desk, and we would say, okay, in Malaysia, we want to buy these five stocks. And as, as beautiful as you could imagine, the next morning, we wake up, and they're in the account, mm-hmm. and they bought them in the overnight desk. And you can do that. Now, I, I invest through DIF brokerage, D-I-F, DavidIndigoFrank.pt, which will not open accounts for Americans, uh, but I happen to own a part of the company. But I, I, I invest through there for my international so in other words, I use our models. So if you looked at our uh, Switzerland model, which I happen to own, that's up 25% this year. And if you wanted to go through your overnight desk and say, look, I want to own Switzerland, but I want to own it in Swiss francs, and I want to own the Swiss stocks. So you, you would look at the, what's inside there is It's Sika Finance, uh, AG Bearer, uh, Suriname Holdings, Partners Group Holdings, Austranic, uh Toe Systems, and you can look those up online and see what they are. and But you can own them in, in Swiss francs in Switzerland through your overnight desk. So you call the overnight desk and your customer might say, yeah, I'd like to own Switzerland. Not just a Swiss ETF. I want to own the stocks in there. Right. Changes the environment, makes you worth a lot more. I'll tell you what, when you start talking about these things that you can do in the overnight desk, you get customers that are going to want to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. And another avenue to you know owning those are ADRs is a product we have with advisor shares. Is These aren't ADRs. Those are the Those are in-country. In country. I mean,
0: that's mainline.
1: But another way to approach international okay. securities is through the through ADRs. ADR. Um, AADR is one we have with advisor shares. Took mm-hmm. that over in September of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's up 19.34% year-to-date. Percent year-to-date. Uh, compared to the SPX 851. That one's utilizing relative strength. It's, it's been um, something that the money managers in California have been running for a while. Um, now it's in that single QCIP form for the ETF. Um, it, it's using relative strengths to gain exposure to developed and emerging markets, owning between uh, roughly 40 ADRs at any given time. And that's another approach you can buy as an ETF, and get exposure to international markets. And it's the
0: same relative strength approach that we use everywhere. I mean, exactly. Nothing different under the sun that you can explain to your customer, and there it is in ADR form or, or uh, ETF form. ETF form. That's ETF great. form. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Man, what else do we want? Oh, we could be here all day talking about unique things. Uh, we probably should wrap it up, but I, I, uh, you know, I wanna, I want to address that indexing situation. You have Department of Labor coming in two days. That changes our world. And I think you need to find a way to scale your business. We have it right here. If you go to our model page and start looking up and down the model page and let yourself become creative, you don't have to go off the tracks. If you're driving from Richmond Virginia up to Washington DC it's a straight line 100 miles up by 95 north sometimes you need to get in the left lane and pass then you get back in the right lane and, and continue on and slowly but y- you don't need to be jumping over the the uh, medians and jumping into right. the woods like I would have done when I was younger more your age that I would have gone crazy but the good thing about you is you have these old veterans here that's right that help me you in miss the line. those bullets that's right <laughs> <laughs> at any rate Tommy's the greatest man I love this kid Um, We will talk to you next week. Yes, sir.